I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, I'm Fenway home. That's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Fake a smile November until opening day Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way That's when Red Sox they just on rock I'm a member of the Red Sox Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For those of you staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and literally wherever you can find it on Google. With me tonight, as always, is Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville. How are you? Great. Um, I'm awesome. I can't uh, agree with the always for me. I think it's been, I looked at my notes, it's been a little over a month, but uh, you guys have been killing it without me and extra people, but it feels good to be back. Well, you're here with us in spirit, though, so it still applies. (laughs) I try to I try to chime in on the uh, on the tweets of the show if I hear something that that uh, that I want to call out you know devil rays related and whatnot. De- did you just you say go. devil rays? She did. She's finally she's finally <laughs> oh. back to 1998. I love it. Ugh. Well, Ugh. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm just so sick of this stale free agent market and. You know, the big two haven't signed, and I I don't even really care to discuss them tonight. Um, You know, just some little things happening, but we're like three weeks away from pitchers and catchers. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I I tweeted the other week, like, I finally, uh, like, have solid plans, bought tickets. I'm finally going to, to Fenway South. I've been wanting to go for a long time, admittedly, just because it seemed like a really cool park. Um, and so I'm finally getting to do it this year. I'm going to Red Sox Mets on the 9th. And then uh, coincidentally, the Red Sox play the Rays the very next day in Port Charlotte. So we're going to that too. So I'm getting to um, to knock them both out really quick and get some spring training in uh, down in Fort Myers and Port Charlotte this year. But, um, but yeah, the first game of the season, I noticed when I was looking at the schedule and trying to figure out when I could go, what the best time was. Is the 22nd of February. Like, that seems super early to me. Is it early, or is it just me thinking it's usually just March? That's about right, I feel like. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's usually it's usually the games start with, you know, the college thing where they, for whatever reason, play Northwestern, I'm sorry, Northeastern, uh, BC. Um, you know, and then they go over, like, right into the Twins. Um sometimes it gets earlier i remember when they had to travel for japan um back when manny was still in there they they started spring training really early that year so a lot of it is predicated based on 
uh, when the regular season starts. And for some teams, that's a little bit earlier, especially if you're playing in that opening day for us, it seems pretty normal this year. Terry, getting, getting to your point. Um, this is, and I mentioned this probably like six weeks ago where major league baseball, or at least the teams generally speaking have really made a concerted effort to bring the market back down to earth where you're seeing more two-year deals. And these are like talented veteran players that 10 years ago, all things being the same would have gotten, you know, six, seven year contracts. Now it's these two-year deals. And to the extent like Pollock signed, I think, was it four years, four years, 55 million or five years, 55 million, whatever it was, but it's loaded with opt outs. So if he's productive after year one or two, he's not going to, He's not going to stay, and I know we're going to get into him a little bit later. So um, the teams are just not overspending, and I think um, they're going to overspend for Harper and Machado. It's going to be Philly. It's going to be the White Sox more likely than not. Um, But their overspending is a little bit different than it was with Pujols and Cano and some of these other guys, A-Rod, Teixeira. Uh, so the overspend is going to be even less. So there's just been a market correction, and – while I am extremely frustrated that we really don't know where key superstar players are going to be playing yet, it gives me some hope, and we've hit this really a lot, so I'm just going to just say this briefly. Um, it gives me hope that maybe we can have a chance at signing some of our guys that maybe we thought we didn't. Mookie, I still think Mookie's going to price himself out of Boston uh, either way, but maybe Ben Benintendi's a little bit less. Maybe Bogarts is a little bit less. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where maybe, just maybe, um, this whole thing in the long run, uh, whether it be next offseason or, or down the road, uh, it, it brings the, the price of the current Red Sox players down so that they can sign them in free agency. That's the hope as, uh, you know, you know, we get closer to that CBA, and fortunately some of these, most of these contracts expire, you know, before then. So, you know, if a potential strike happens. Well, I know we want to talk about Bogarts first, but Bogarts, yeah, Bogarts, sorry, uh, first, but um, but that kind of leads into like a question that that I had because uh, about the bullpen and how they're really not doing anything to like get anybody, you know, right now. Do you think, you know, maybe they're trying to save a little bit of that salary for that very reason? Like they want to try and keep Mookie, maybe maybe keep a bunch of guys. I mean, isn't Sale up next year? And uh, uh, that's a that's a really good that's a really good question. Except, um, so the question's really good. I think that the answer to it is relatively simple, and that's no, except for the closer spot, because you're not going to over it. Like the way it, you build bullpens and the costs associated with building a bullpen should never have an effect on your overall roster, unless it's the closer. So if you're paying a guy 17 million a year, obviously that's going to have an effect on a guy like Mookie, who's somewhere in the 25 to $30 million range or a guy like Bogarts, who's probably in $20 million a year range. But if you're, if you're paying 5 million for a setup, 6 million for a setup guy, 7 million, and then the rest of your guys are somewhere between one and five that I'm sorry, you're the Boston Red Sox. It should have zero effect. And which brings me to the, the second half of my answer, which I have no idea why they haven't addressed the bullpen. Every every single 
every single bullpen arm that was out there that was considered above average or elite is gone except for Kimbrell and he's a closer not a not a bullpen guy you know a middle you know a seventh eighth inning guy so I, I don't think it has any effect on it I think where where it would have an effect would be like what they do with JBJ in center field or um, if you were to be going after a big name guy like for example the Yankees passing on Machado and Harper and signing and I'm going to space it on this name but the middle infielder they signed two weeks ago that's the sort of signing where you can say okay they're saving money for something else but as on a bullpen it just doesn't make sense well it's actually it has mostly to do with the uh, luxury tax threshold like the final one there's there's at least two of them and they're trying to stay under that last one because the penalties will get pretty severe and if you remember back to the winter meetings, Bogarts, Porcello, and Bradley were available, you know, for a little while. And apparently Dombrowski was pretty aggressive trying to trade Bradley, but didn't find a deal to his liking. And and same with Porcello, he was fairly aggressive trying to move him. And they they combined for twenty eight million this year on the books. So. I think there were multiple moving parts there, but when none of that materialized and we're just, I think we're just like three or four million under that final threshold, you know, that's, that's what it is for this year. And then as we were saying, a lot of money comes off the books uh, after this season, including the Sandoval contract. So you'll probably see, you know, some activity and, we also have, uh, you know, Lakins and um, Feltman that will at least get a look this year and maybe kind of help the plans for next year. Yeah, I was really thinking about that. I mean, it's it's funny that uh, Jeremy always says, I'm sorry, or the Boston Red Sox, but then it always goes back to, oh, well, you know, Mookie's going to price himself out of the market, you know, kind of a thing. It's weird how both those statements always get said, you know, a lot, even though I know like, you know, a pitcher is different, you know, they're going to get a lot different contract than like Mookie is going to, but, but still it's funny that the, both those statements came out in like the same couple of minutes there. That's a good point. Um, And I like when people call me out on stuff and give me an opportunity to hopefully explain why, why I say that the the Red Sox are always going to be at the threshold. Because they're going to have players like Bogarts, like JBJ, like Sale, like Price. Um, they're going to have uh, their veteran players are going to cost five or six million dollars, like uh, uh, Pierce and Moreland. Uh, you know, their second baseman's getting seventeen million a year. Um, they pay their utility guys four million dollars a year, like Nunez. And so, where they pay, where they spend everywhere. They're always going to be the Red Sox are always going to be at that at that point. And so when it comes to four or five million dollars for a middle reliever, you're the Boston Red Sox. You should be able to handle that. If if you want to re-sign Sale um, or you know Porcello or Keuchel or something to that to that effect, you're going to have the money if the market dictates a fair number. The problem with Mookie is that his number is not going to be like quote-unquote fair. It's going to be potentially the highest contract in the history of baseball. Teams that have the money to spend like that are typically teams that have underspent everywhere else. And the perfect example of that 
is that the Phillies have no big name talent. I mean, they spent money on um, I'm spacing it on his name right now, but the right-handed pitcher from uh, Chicago, Arietta. Um, uh, Jake Arietta. Yeah, Jake Arietta. Sorry, thank you. Uh, the White Sox have no money spent on anybody. They, um, I mean, they literally have no money expended. I mean, it's crazy. Their payroll is, you know, they just don't. so. Of course, it may, they ha, they can spend thirty million because they're still not going to be at the, the the luxury tax threshold because they haven't they don't have any money expended anywhere else. But you're the Boston Red Sox. You have five million invested in every single position, every single you know uh, three relievers and a closer all across the board. So you you're not going to be able to absorb a thirty five. Some people have said Mookie's worth forty million dollars a year. They can't do that because then they have to become the White Sox or the Phillies, where now they have to go out and they have to pay the the, the minimum for a left fielder, and now they can't sign a, a catcher, so they got to go with with a triple A AAA catcher and weaken the spots in other areas. That's not how they're that's not how they're spending their money. They're spending their money in every single position. And Mookie's going to price himself out of Boston for that reason. Well, I mean, I guess that kind of leads into the Bogarts uh, situation where they uh, had a failure at signing that extension with him this year, and he'll be a free agent uh, at the end of this year, I think, um, and everything. So, do you, I mean, losing him, I mean, they could they could probably plug somebody, maybe not as good as him, but serviceable and, you know, pretty good. You know, into that position pretty easily. I mean, I'm not super familiar with uh, with all the bench people that might cover for him, but but I mean, uh, you think? I mean, how much do you think him in the free agent market, you know, would drive to like? How much will they save letting go of Bogarts and maybe potentially being able to invest that money into somebody like Mookie or or extending Benatendi or whatever they want to do? I don't think they should resign Sale. I don't know unless. Unless he, you know, is back 100%, you know, no sign of injury or, or weirdness, you know, this season, you know, I wouldn't extend him necessarily. I think that's just a, a big, you know, mistake. Tommy John, something, I don't know, waiting to happen. But um, but what kind of value do you think Bogarts has that will end up being freed up if they just let him go? Um. Sorry. Um, so he's getting twelve million this year in his final year of arbitration. Um, just for comparison's sake, Mookie, who still has this year and next year left, is getting twenty million. So there's the there's the way that the the price of this player is significantly less than a guy like Mookie. Um, I think that Bogarts and Benintendi are the same class of player. They're both very good players. They both have multiple tools. Um, and I think Bogarts will get 15 to 20 million per year. Um, now th- there's always that possibility of somebody going crazy, right? You know, the Mets come out and give the guy 25 million then, and that's the Mets. They can do that. You want to be an idiot, go be an idiot. The Sox aren't going to do that. Bogarts is 26. He'll be 27 in his first year of unrestricted free agency. He's crazy young. Um, he's a very good player. He's been on two World Series teams. Um, I think he's a player the Red Sox clearly covet and want, but I don't think they're going to get crazy w- with him either. Um, I would rather them sign Bogarts and Benintendi and a pitcher versus just Mookie Betts. So for me... Xander um, presents 
less of a financial burden. What it ultimately be uh, ends up being, I'm not exactly sure. But let me just say this, and I know Terry's itching at the at the trigger finger here to bring this topic up. He's a Boris guy. Now, here, here's the problem with Boris guys. Because Bor- it's a misnomer, in my, my opinion, that Boris guys always get top of the market. They don't. They do not always get top of the market. But Boris will drag that process out to the last goddamn day. And that is a situation where that would put Bogarts in jeopardy because the Red Sox aren't going to sit by with a hole at shortstop. If Bogarts finishes this year without a contract, and I don't think it's completely out of the question that hopefully he signs by the end of spring training. It, it looks like it would be it would have been done by now, so it's not looking great. But if he finishes this year, doesn't have a contract, and Boris convinces him to go into free agency and, and to squeeze every last dollar out of his contract... I, I envision a situation where the Red Sox don't they don't wait around. They either identify a veteran or they trade for somebody, um, you know, or whatever the situation is. They're not going to go this late into next offseason with nobody at shortstop. They just won't. And so that's the thing that scares me the most is Boris's involvement. Terry? I agree that he's going to – you know, wait for an offer, or at least try to wait for an offer that suits him. I, I think where the Boris factor comes in is it it eliminates any realistic possibility of an early signing. I'm not. I'm. I'm fairly. I think it's fifty fifty whether or not the Red Sox ultimately sign him next off season. But when I was digging in to try to figure out you know the 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 how the talks went a couple weeks ago cuz we speculated it was Ben Intendi like like Evan Drellick did and it turned out we were way off and it was Bogarts and and I think we even ruled out Bogarts because because he was a Boris client and I forget we had two alternate guys that we talked about that could have been the the mystery extension candidate and I know one of them was Martinez and I, I don't know who we thought the other one, or at least who I brought up. So Bogarts wasn't on my radar. And by all reports that I read, the talks never went anywhere. So how I read into that is the Red Sox probably took their temperature on it, Bogarts and Boris, and the Red Sox were probably at 90 or or $100 million over you know five or six years. And then Boris probably came in and said, no, he's a, he's a 140 to 160 guy. And then the talks went away because all reports said they weren't even close. Like the, the talks never even went far. So I think they just kind of compared numbers and said, all right, we'll, uh, we'll wait till next season. And the reason why I, I hope he does get signed. I probably want him signed more than anyone other than maybe Martinez if he opts out, and I expect he will. I think Martinez ultimately will impact our future bigger than Bogarts, but I do covet Bogarts because, like you alluded to, we don't have any shortstops in the system. Chavis and Dahlbeck, they're both corner infielders. They could probably be converted into left fielders, 
but they're not middle infielders by any means. So we don't have any stud prospect in the pipeline as of yet. Unless somebody emerges in double A or triple A this year and just suddenly goes off the charts, it's a lot easier well, I shouldn't say easier to replace Mookie Betts, but there's there's a lot more highly serviceable options that you could plug into right field if Mookie signs with someone else than it is to plug in to shortstop where Bogarts has been. And as you were going through that, I was trying to think in my head, where is Bogarts, you know, compared to all the best shortstops? You know, I mean, he's, I don't know where you'd put him against Correa. I'm drawing blanks right now. But he's probably a top four or five no. shortstop at the at the worst. So hard to replace a guy like that. Yeah. Um, he well, first of all, he's not Correa. Okay, so let's he's right. not Correa. Um, I, I have him in the five to ten range, and but because shortstop's such an important position, you know, if you can get a guy who who can hit. 20 home runs and I think he had exactly 100 RBIs although I don't have his stats up in front of me right now that I mean those are the sorts of production you were getting in the steroid era so he's he's gonna be coveted he's gonna be he and he's gonna get a lot of money um I thought you were right on I I and if if I said look bogey we'll pay you 20 million this year we'll give you an 8 million dollar pay bump to 20 million this year we'll buy your last year but we get you for five years, a hundred million. I'd do it yesterday. And I also, and as much as that makes sense, if I'm the Boston Red Sox, it also makes sense if, in my opinion, that Xander not take it because he's gonna, there's a potential that he could get more than that. Now, what I let off with today was the current, what's happening to Harper and Machado. Bogarts has to be watching that. And again, I go back to who his agent is. His agent is the biggest blowhard in in sports agency on any level that I that I can name off the top of my head. He he just it, it's it, a lot of it is about ego for Boris. Um, and you know, I don't know many other agents um, that will like do press conferences and like show up to like like. You know, I mean, he, he, he literally takes interviews like get the fuck out of here. You're just an agent guy. Um, and, and I think he's going to get in the way of it. And um, I don't know what their options would be. I looked at briefly CJ Ch- Chatham is a shortstop. They drafted 51st overall in, in 2016. Um, he he just got to, to class a Salem in in uh, May of 2018. Um, he missed an entire year um, due to injury. His stats offensively are there's just nothing there. Uh, they're not necessarily bad. They're not great. Um, and his one full year uh, with the the GCL Red Sox, he he hit 259. So it's like you're right. They they don't have anybody, and you can't convert a corner outfielder to play shortstop. You can't. It's too important of of a defensive position. And that's where another thing is. If Bogarts is smart, and he is smart, he knows that he probably has the Red Sox over a barrel. Um, so it's problematic, and it it brings up that there's a lot of un known in the future not necessarily this year because i think if you lose bogarts everyone else is still coming back except for maybe sale 
and Porcello next year. So you're still going to be really competitive in 2020. It's then after that, then Mookie comes up and then you're a year away from Ben and Tendi. And now you're potentially in a position where things start rolling downhill and getting away from you. If you don't get these guys at dollars, that makes sense. So I got, I just got a few names here that I was looking at as far as where we could rank him. I I think he does come out about fourth or fifth. I think we could all agree that uh, Correa is, is better. We would all put Lindor and maybe Lindor is even the number one shortstop. Machado's listed as a shortstop, but I'm going to move him over to third base. Uh, so, and uh, let's see. you. And then you could lump guys like uh, Gene Segura and Drelton Simmons. They're about on par with what Bogarts is. Bogarts was fifth in average last year, and that's with Machado in there also, by the way. Uh, and then he was second in OBP. And uh, let's see where he was. Runs batted in. Um, third on the RBI list. So a few key, you know, offensive categories. And last year was probably his best year. So I guess if there's any regression, you know, maybe he does slip. But regardless, he is, you know, one of the better shortstops in the league. He's only going to be 27, 28 years old. And I think... I think it's going to come down to years ultimately. I, I don't think his value much exceeds twenty million. You, you mentioned the you know the twenty a year for five years, so that's a hundred. I, I think Boris is going to want a couple years tacked onto that, and the the comparable contract really that I've brought up a couple of times, and I'm just really sticking with it is it's going to be similar to an Eric Hosmer contract from a couple years ago and I mean it took the Padres to be like a mystery team at the last minute to get Hosmer you know that type of money but you know I I just I think Bogarts has a little bit more upside than he does anyway and I think that's what Boris is going to be looking for but it's the weirdest market ever so who knows what next year is even going to bring you know as far as you know, the value for the top free agents. Liz, yeah, what, what definitely. Are your I mean, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You, you guys far surpass any knowledge base I have on any of that, but it, it just, it really makes me wonder, like if, if he's that good and they're that concerned, like what, what was the dollars and cents that it come down to that, like, could they have pushed, you know, a couple more thousand, a couple more thousand, a couple more, you know, million or, or whatever, would that have really hurt them? You know, is it going to benefit them more to wait? I mean, there's so many unknown factors, like really now, um, you know, particularly with, you know, it, it, I was thinking about this this week. It almost seems like, and maybe they did all get together. Who knows? All the owners, you know, got together and, uh, or managers or whoever, you know, and decided, hey, you know, we're sick of this. You know, we're all like they almost staged a coup in a way. You know, we're not going to deal with these players demanding all this money from us all the time. So, you know, nobody signed anything, you know, too wild, even though, you know, the Phillies are kind of the, the wild card in this whole deal, throwing down whatever anybody wants. Apparently, just nobody wants to go to them, <laughs> really, uh, unless it's there. It seems like everyone's last resort is the Phillies. But, um, but, uh, 
I mean, I think we've said all we could say. You guys pretty well, you know, covered it way better than I ever could. So, but, um, but going on, I mean, I, I don't really don't think, you know, there's anything else to say about it. Uh, what do you guys think about Pomerantz? Going to be. Na, 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 na. <laughs> na, 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 na. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. That yeah, guy kinda, sucks. Kinda, oh my god. Yeah. And honestly, I, I was in the. I was driving back from Miami uh, when that news came across 98.5. And honestly, I I don't remember having a sense of relief that there was like he was gone and he wasn't going to be like I was so relieved like that somehow Pomerantz like didn't end up back here on like a prove it year. Uh, so thank God he's someone else's problem. That guy sucks. Um, he sucks in so many different ways. He can't throw strikes. Uh, he's so inconsistent with his fastball and I'm not talking about location. I'm talking about like one start he's throwing 86. The next start he's throwing 92. It's like, bro, like no one else in major league baseball has that issue. Uh, his best pitch is his breaking pitch. Um, if you have a lineup that is hell bent on making him throw it for a strike, he sucks. He can't stay healthy. He sucks. Uh, uh, the stupid look on his face after he gives up a three run home run after your offense just gave you the lead. Like I won't miss any of it. Bye. Terry. Um, that was his 28 season, the 2018 season in, in a nutshell, uh, or a bombshell maybe, you know, in Jeremy's case. Um, I just, 2017, we won the division and, you know, he was a big part of that and that was his best season and it's kind of surprising that he really fell off a cliff and maybe he's still falling, I don't know, but I mean, he was 17 and 6 with a a 3.32 ERA, started uh, 32 games, which was a career high and he he started out as like a, a reliever slash spot starter and then kind of ascended to that and so really good you know in in 2017 he started he was the no-brainer game two starter you know against houston and unfortunately that didn't work out well but um like jeremy said he just kind of kind of fell off the cliff and and i i don't think he doesn't really have enough upside at this point to really justify winging it for one more year just to see that's how bad his 2018 was. And the Giants, that's a perfect fit for him because it's, you know, they're in a rebuild sort of, whether they want to admit it or not. Uh, their ballpark, I forget the name of it. I think it's still AT&T Park. Um, that's the most pitcher-friendly park in Major League Baseball. So, for his sake, and I don't wish any ill will on him, but I'm glad he's not our problem. But that is a good place to try to revive your career if uh, if it can be revived. I mean, as far as uh, as far as the rest of the pin, I mean, we talked about it, you know, briefly. Um, I mean, do you think with with start with the starters, you know, being being you know being who they are, being, uh, you know, pretty, 
pretty freaking good <laughs> and everything. I mean, do you think the pen will hold up or that they going to, are they going to, I don't know about bring somebody up necessarily, but you know, snag somebody up in spring training or well, like, logically, what do you, what do you think is going to happen right now? There was one name kicked around and it would be a really inexpensive, uh, addition. And, uh, that's Sean Kelly. I don't know if I mentioned that to you guys before the show. Um, he came from the Nationals last year and kind of was infamous for uh, – he was pitching in relief against the Mets and the Nationals were up like some disgusting score. It was literally like 24 to 1. And then he gave up a multi-run home run. And this was at uh, City Field in Queens. And out of anger that he gave up that home run <laughs> – he took his glove and slammed it on the ground and just kind of made a scene about it. And then he was trade. No, he was DFA'd the next day, <laughs> literally DFA'd the next day. And the, the nationals were a dumpster fire. They thought, um, what was his name? They traded him, Brandon Kinsler. They traded him their second best reliever behind Doolittle to the Cubs because they thought that Kinsler was the clubhouse rat and giving information to Jeff Passan. And that was the sole reason for trading him. And Passan later came out and said, you know, I, I, you know, had never had any contact whatsoever with Kinsler. He, he wasn't the guy you guys were thinking he was. So the nationals gave him away for nothing. And then a few weeks later, the Sean Kelly incident happens. He gets DFA'd and then was picked up by Oakland, which I thought, oh, what a brilliant move because they have Blake Trinan, who was like a top three closer last year. And then I think they already had Rodney at that point. And then Kelly was a nice complimentary guy. And guys on the team like Harper and uh, Max Scherzer, none of them had a problem with what Kelly did. And everyone was kind of surprised he was DFA'd, but... That's what they chose to do. And, and Dave Martinez as well. That caught him off guard, their manager. So getting back to who he is real quick, if the Red Sox do get him, and I guess there are a couple teams connected to him, um, he's basically he's a complimentary type guy. He's he's never really been an eighth-inning guy, certainly not a ninth-inning guy. You know, he'd be brought in like the seventh inning or so. I would consider him to be an upgrade over Heath Hembree. I uh, wanted to compare him to Barnes, but Barnes's strikeout per nine is off the charts. Kelly is a is a nine point seven and typically hovers right around nine. And uh, but the only thing is, is he's going to be thirty five years old uh, before the season starts, and it would almost certainly be a, a one year deal. So. Doesn't he's more of a stabilizer, I would say, than than really an impact guy. So, um, but that's the only name I have really seen, other than the the Kimbrel whispers. But um, unfortunately, so we haven't been too busy what, in that area. Yeah, Terry and I differ on this quite a bit with the bullpen, and I'm just going to hit on it quickly because I mentioned it, I think, two podcasts ago. But with this uh, reliever that Terry's talking about, he threw his glove and they, like, DFA'd him, like, that night. They didn't, like, let him back on the team plane. The most ridiculous thing, like, baseball has shifted away from 
the hoity-toity old days where if you pimp a home run or stand in the batter's box a little bit, you get thrown at. Um, like baseball has become something that has more flair, um, and it and it's and and the reason why baseball has tightened the rules with throwing at people and everything else because they want people to pimp home runs. That's what attracts the younger baseball fan. So they want you to bat flip and they want you to stand there in the batter's box, in my opinion, act like a douchebag. But, you know, I'm still from the old guard, but I enjoy and understand that the game has to evolve. So it doesn't bother me. Um, If I was playing, I wouldn't do that. Um, But the fact that this guy threw his glove was clearly a sign of frustration with his own. It wasn't like he was blaming anyone. Like he made a bad pitch and he obviously – was upset and some people tied that situation to him being upset that he was in a game that was 24 to three or whatever the score was. Okay. Now how did the nationals handle it? Like idiots. Erod did the exact same thing in his start in the ALDS. No, it was the world series. Uh, He did the same thing in the world series. Sorry. Same thing in the world series. What did the Red Sox do? Praise them. Apologize that he was still in the game in the in the in uh in the position to have to give up that home run because we all agreed he was kept in that game at least one batter too long. So it's just a, it's a microcosm of you get guys in better systems and they perform better. I have no issue with that. If they want there, there's spots in the bullpen like hey, you know this isn't like a free puppy sign in the in the in the uh, in the front yard of uh, of a family who's got a pair of golden retrievers, but. You know, it's kind of like a free puppy sign. Like, we need relievers. We need bodies. Uh, where Terry and I differ is the Red Sox, and I had the lift list roughed out in my notes from a couple days ago, and if I can find it quickly, um, I'll just mention it. There's seven or eight major league-ready starters, and assuming health, you only go with you go with four for the first two weeks, and then you, you go with five. So – you're going to have starting pitchers that are going to end up in the bullpen. That's what's going to happen here. They don't want to lose guys like Velasquez and Wright. And so what they're going to do is they're going to have to put them in the bullpen. And at the end of the day, that's where the arms are going to come from. And then the second thing is that at some point, the Red Sox are going to go get an arm, whether it be a closer because they don't get Kimbrell and they're having trouble with the closer position or whether they're really simply just waiting for good for the bad teams to be bad um, so that they can go and poach guys on the last year of their deals um, for low end prospects. They're going to get, they're going to the, the mark my words, the bullpen on opening day will not be the bullpen at the time the season ends. It just won't be it. There'll be massive changes. Um, if Kimbrell doesn't stay, I bet you the guy who whoever ends up being the quote unquote closer, it won't be the closer at the end of the year. Um, so I really think that this team is talented enough to carry a bad bullpen early until they can get it and improve it through the trade market. And again, that just so we have, and I found my list sale price, Porcello Vivaldi, Erod, and then I have Velasquez, Wright, and Brian Johnson in the bullpen. And then with Avaldi, we've already talked about this. Avaldi signed a contract that looks an awful lot like Chapman's closer deal. So if there's a position where they're they literally just they need a closer, or whatever, Avaldi could be that guy. Which you go sale price, Porcello, Erod, probably Wright, and then you have Avaldi, 
in the late inning situations with Vasquez and Brian Johnson in the bullpen. So they have a ton of options because they're that deep in the start and rotation. I'm a little uncomfortable with Wright's lack of durability. I would feel better about things if he was more durable. Um, I don't like, I'm not crazy about Brian Johnson in a relief role. I think he, he, you know, serves better as a starter, but I'm uncomfortable also dealing Brian Johnson because we don't know what the health status of Chris Sale will be, and maybe we might need that depth late in the season. So it's just it's really finicky. I do like Velasquez in in a in a relief role. I think he's a good sixth, seventh inning type guy, and, and you know can give the Red Sox some stability there. I also think uh, Blake Swihart could net a solid arm, like a Sean Kelly type arm. If we don't end up signing him, I think we could easily pluck a guy like that out of maybe Seattle, Miami. Uh, maybe San Francisco if they get off to a bad start. Just a team that's not really expecting to contend that might happen to use a um, you know a closer, not a closer, a catcher with some upside. And so that's another scenario. But I don't think we're not going to get a stud reliever at this point. I don't believe. I just I don't think we have the pieces and the farm to really do it in July. I mean, I suppose we do, but I just don't know. I don't know if that would be worth it if it was a rental type situation. So we're just going to have to hope that, you know, Brazier is who he was in the short sample size. Maybe Barnes, he's kind of been improving year after year. So maybe that trend continues. And I keep bringing up Travis Lakins and Durbin Feltman. I think Lakins could possibly make the big club right away if he has a decent spring training. The only reason he wasn't added in September, you know, when the call-ups happened, was he's got a bit of an injury history, and they just didn't want they didn't want to put the workload on him. So, um, But he basically is major league ready and does project as a late-inning uh, reliever, so who knows? Here's one last. To- to- Go ahead. Sorry, I-, I didn't know you had one last thing. I was going to say I totally agree that he's going to be on the big league club, and I hope that they're going to let him start the season um, to work in slowly, where maybe he doesn't pitch too often the first couple of weeks, so he gets acclimated. I know he's young. I know he was just pitching in college, like like what eighteen months ago. I do think he's going to be a factor. The other thing is I love your Swihart point. I love your Swihart point. You know how I love to disagree with you, Terry. <laughs> Swihart, Swihart has value. You can get a reliever or relievers or a reliever and depth in the minor league system or a reliever and whatever with Swihart. I think he's that coveted in Major League Baseball. And by the way, last year there was a ton of – um, interest in Swihart, but for whatever reason, the Red Sox like were like, we're not moving him. You're like, we're going to DFA Hanley before we move Swihart. Um, and then finally, just to clarify my point, the guys I mentioned that are the the sixth, seventh, and eighth starters, uh, Brian Johnson, Velasquez, and Wright. If that's the way it works out, I don't see them in late innings. I see them building out the back of the bullpen, the longer inning situations. Um, you know, so I'm not counting on those guys for for outs in the seventh and eighth. I'm counting for those guys uh, to give the depth 
Um, and especially in a situation where you have to manage the innings of a Valdi, two Cy Youngs, Price because he's a bitch, and then Sale because he's been injured. So, you know, let's say Sale's in a game and it's eight to one. No more Sale. Right. You know, if if Price has, uh, stayed up too late playing Fortnite the night before and he's up eight to one, and it's he gets through his fifth inning and he's going to get his win that's where you see velasquez and the same with Avaldi for his his injury concerns so that it's a back end of the bullpen type of situation with those guys yeah and that, that's a good point and i i wasn't really i'm glad you made that point because i wasn't you know expecting any of them to be set up type guys just you know um six maybe seventh inning guys at the most depending on you know who's available and who isn't another thing i just thought of and this is kind of a stretch but who knows maybe it becomes a possibility you could use those guys in dare i say it like maybe an opener like like have like a a traditional reliever open and then you can have a velasquez a johnson guy come in in like the third inning or so and maybe get you through the sixth or seventh in that scenario. Some teams are tinkering with that. Oakland did it in the one-game wild card. I, I expect maybe the Reds, the Brewers to continue with that. And, um, you know, so uh, just an idea. I'm not saying that they'll do it, but those are, are good candidates if they want to try something like that. Well, um, Liz, do you, I mean, I know that this is a tough topic for you because you're not, you know, you're, you're a Devil Rays fan and you're not, you know, you're not so interested in like the seventh spot in the Red Sox bullpen. So, but I just wanted to give you a chance to kind of weigh in if you have anything. Uh, no, I think you guys covered it perfectly and you're exactly right. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no opinion. Uh, although I, I look forward to having a little more of an opinion, uh, you know, this year, obviously, I'll be paying a little closer attention, you know, to to them. Obviously, I get MLB TV every year. So uh, so I'll definitely be able to watch a, a majority of the games as long as I'm home home in time for work usually, or in time from work. I'm usually home by 730. So I should be able to catch uh, most of it. And I have um, two TVs in my living room. So I can have one on my big TV and one on my little TV. So. So uh, I can watch the Rays too, and uh, not feel like such a sellout. But um, but uh, speaking of uh, of rivals in the division, uh, the biggest one, of course, lots went on with the Yankees. You know, in the past the past week or so, they managed to dump Sunny Gray, uh, sign uh, what was it, Adovino, Adam Adovino, and then uh, and then also they signed a for- a former Ray who. Uh, who came back from a very serious medical condition, Danny Farquhar. Yeah, so people who don't know about Danny Farquhar, um, I'm going to spell his name for you so you can Google it. F-A-R-G-U-A-R. This guy was pitching for the White Sox and had a had a, a collapsed on the mound and ended up having a brain aneurysm. And from what I've read, um, the White Sox staff identified it like literally as they were jogging out to the mound and saved this guy's life as a result, like, like the timing of their ability to get him medical attention and their, um, their, their immediate diagnosis of this, not be, of this, not being like, you know, a lightheaded situation, save this guy's life. Um, the white Sox hung his Jersey in their dugout, um, every single game for the rest of that year. 
it was really like a, a scary, scary situation where they thought not only was his baseball uh, career over, but um, that maybe he was having going to have a life altering effect. So the fact that this guy is back in baseball signed by the Yankees on a contending team. He he's good enough. I think to make the Yankees, although they're obviously their bullpen is stacked. So he's not going to, ha- he's not going to be a lead guy, but he has a decent chance to make the club. It's really, really a good, like heartwarming story about a guy's ability to uh, benefit from high end medical treatment, um, in a really tough situation, getting medical treatment, like on the pitcher's mound. Um, it's it, you know so it's kind of an amazing story all the way around from starting with the people that treated him right after he collapsed to his ability to come back from such a horrific situation um so i i specifically identified that this was something i wanted to bring up to our listeners um i know we have some listeners in europe and across the world and uh this might be one of those stories that slipped through the cracks so i really do encourage you after you finish listening to the entire podcast to google this guy and the story uh of what happened to him and his ability to come back it's really really cool it's a slow time in the baseball season these goddamn players are not signing so uh if you need something to get you through the next couple of weeks uh, looking up danny farquhar is is worth your time and uh and and it's someone that Seems like you'd want to root for, even though he may not be on your team. So that's what I had to say about this particular this particular player and signing. I uh, am more familiar with uh, brain aneurysms than uh, I wish that I was. And the survival rate for those, last I knew, is only 30%. So 70% of people that have them don't survive and my mother had one about uh, 20 years ago survived it my cousin who was really one of my best friends that I I grew up with I mean we were really close my age had one right around age 30 survived it and then we had an uncle uh, back in the late 80s was uh, 37 years old, had one, and did not survive it. So it, they're scary, and you don't really see them coming, you know, other than maybe literally seconds before. And, uh, you know, like Jeremy was just saying, he was he was just pitching. Like, he was just pitching in the game and, and then had one suddenly. And just really fortunate that... Um, you know that that it was identified and that he not only did he survive but he's going to have the opportunity to resume his career again so it's some people you know for anyone who have has the attitude you know miracles happen every day the odds of of him getting back to this point is <laughs> were drastically not on his side and you know, now he's with the Yankees and probably no better spot to be. So, you know, I'll be rooting for him. Um, and I've seen like, you know, from him throwing out the first pitch, uh, in a white Sox game with his family. Um, I have followed it. I was like, I don't know if I was watching that game or I was watching MLB network when it happened. 
And so like I was watching it in real time as like it was being brought to the attention of baseball fans. And so I've kind of followed along as he's recovered and kind of rooted for him privately. And, um, it's one of those things where, um, it's just, it's just cool to see someone like that overcome. Like I didn't know those stats. I've heard those stats, but Terry putting them in perspective, I mean, he he didn't he had a higher chance to pass away than he did to survive. And now he's back in the league. So, uh, really, 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 really cool situation. Um, now another pitching situation with the Yankees that was like, I think comical and just handled really poorly with Sonny Gray, uh, this week was finally traded to the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, I dislike the Yankees. I don't know if you guys know that, but, um, I think they just, they do a lot of things wrong and their handling of Sonny Gray was wrong. He obviously underperformed. They traded for him and put all the pressure on him immediately to be someone that would be on the top of their rotation. And just, and he crumbled under the pressure. And we've talked about it on this podcast so much about how you just never know when you take someone from a small market and put him in Boston and New York what the reaction's going to be. Well, you took Sonny Gray from Oakland and you put him in New York and he he crumbled. They did not support him. They publicly acknowledged that they didn't want him anymore. I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's, and I, it makes me feel a little bit better because I just praised the Yankees for signing Farquhar. But they handled that thing just just poorly. They they, perp, they even though, and I don't know what the the point of like shitting all over Sonny Gray was because you lower his his value. It seems like they actually got a pretty fair trade for it for him, but. Um, that whole situation from from the trading him and anointing him as a top of the rotation guy instead of just letting him go out and pitch i thought was handled poorly uh, when he pitched poorly i thought they they let him in certain games fail and then continue to fail instead of protect him and get him out of the game um they put him in big starts and he was not the track record was not there for him to perform in those starts and then at the end of the day, they basically held a press conference and just shit all over him. Um, so the whole thing was just handled really poorly. On some level, I, and I can't believe I'm about to say this. I don't know Sonny Gray. I've, you know, I almost feel bad for the fact that that he got no support from a team that that traded for him. Um, so another guy where, uh, you know, he he sucks so bad, you know, that, uh, you almost were glad when he was starting, especially like, you know, he's, Oh no, the socks are going to, you know, get out of their slump today. Cause gray's pitching. So it's one of those situations where, um, they moved on from them. Their pitching rotation still, in my opinion, a dumpster fire. They have no depth whatsoever to speak of. Um, you know, and, and, and they traded him to the other, uh, into the national league where he's not going to be a factor either way. Yeah, he, um, that was a good point. You know, Brian Cashman was just a pompous ass when talking about, you know, when talking about Sonny Gray like that. I don't, I don't think the Red Sox got that brutal with Pablo Sandoval and still haven't. You know, they even lied about his body fat percentage for him. But, um, with Gray, I mean, he's going to a small market team and, there's a lot of speculation that maybe he's a small market guy. His numbers in Yankee Stadium weren't good. His numbers on the road, though, while a Yankee were like in the threes or something, his ERA. So 
he was pretty serviceable on the road, but just couldn't couldn't pitch well in Yankee Stadium. And I know he doesn't pitch well at Fenway Park as well. So the upside to to Cincinnati is it is a small market team. However, it is one of the more home run friendly stadiums in Major League Baseball. So I'm a little apprehensive as to how that might turn out. I know the Padres were connected to him, and maybe that was... I I thought they were a better fit, but the Reds were more motivated. His pitching coach from college, I think he went to Vanderbilt, which is actually where David Price went, is Mm -hmm. is the Reds pitching coach. So there's some familiarity there, so maybe... Maybe they can rekindle something. I'm fairly optimistic he'll kind of return to form. He did also sign a three-year extension worth, I think, roughly $10 million a year, and he had a signing bonus in there. That's not a lot. Like four or five years ago, we were thinking Sonny Gray could be one of the next premier aces, you know, and when I think of that, I think of like 150 million plus, you know, all the way up to what price, you know, and Kershaw might have gotten, but somewhere, you know, somewhere in the comfortable nine figures. And he's taken such a, you know, he, he took a, you know, a $30 million deal. And, you know, if he goes out and has a bad year, he, he wouldn't have been worth anything. So I guess he kind of had to weigh the risk. And, he he still could sign a, a decent contract when that runs up should should he pan out and the Yankees it was a three team deal uh, Seattle gets in it and Seattle seems to like three team deals you know like they see two teams getting hot and heavy and they're like oh let us join in and you know that I'm trying to keep it somewhat appropriate but the, that's like their third. Th- <laughs> Three-team deal. It's that was way more appropriate than the dick joke from like five episodes ago, and it's a baseball three-way. <laughs> yeah, and the the prospect the Yankees got shed long is a guy that they don't have to protect just yet on the forty-man roster, which is kind of still a little bit over my head as far as that works. But they they are a prospect-laden organization, so. It was important to them to get someone that didn't require that type of protection right away. But Sonny Gray is no longer in hell anymore. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know watching uh, watching him mainly when he was with Oakland. I mean, most of his career was with Oakland, and he was never like a one hundred percent lights out you know kind of a guy. But he was always really, really good. And uh, and I'm happy to see him go to a team where where hopefully he can thrive again. You know, it it sucks to see a, a guy who was so good go to a team you know like like uh, the Yankees or like Boston or the Dodgers and you know and and have the moment be too big, I guess you know for them and just crush under that pressure you know of playing there for you know for 81 games. I mean that's that's or I mean obviously they're not pitching 81 games but you know what I mean I, you know they have a lot more starts there than they do away it's not like they're just coming in and and you know pitching every now and then you know uh, for an away series or something like that so uh, I think you know he's got a fresh start or, or as fresh as it can be you know in Cincinnati hopefully he can do well and uh, help them you know win a little bit because they've been a pretty sad state of affairs you know the past couple years even with so. 
Well, let me just mention this real quick, and then we'll transition. Uh, I just wanted to point out, even with his 490 ERA last year, and then his the worst season of his career in 2016 with a 569 ERA, he, he's still a career 366 guy. So, you know, there has been a lot of success in between those bad years. So, I wish him well. I wish him well. Yeah, I wish him well, too. A couple things. One is, Liz, I disagree with your point about seeing guys go to the Yankees and fail. Nothing makes me happier. Now, with that said, with that, I like, you know, yeah, caveat time here. Not with that said, Mm -hmm. the Yankees fucked this guy. They fucked him. They gave him no chance. They basically anointed him as like the ace slash second guy. And if they just let him be, who knows what would have happened? You know, or or if they did the inverse, which is just say, hey, look, he's here to chip in as the fifth starter. You know, he's – I mean, you know, who knows? But they, they held him out immediately as their next ace. He was coming off an injury uh, where he did just enough in Oakland to show that he could pitch. But he was not back to who he was before his injury. And they put him in an impossible situation, and he clearly wasn't the, the type of guy that was going to succeed in New York – and then you add on on top of that all these expectations directly from the organization, not from the media, not from the fans. The organization came out and were like, this is who we want him to be. And then he couldn't be that guy, and then he just continued to crumble under the pressure because they continued to put him in terrible situations. So now that he's out of the New York, I will kind of root for the guy, and I wouldn't mind seeing him with like a 3-6 three, three ERA and winning games for the Reds next year. Uh, so that's my kind of last point on that. Uh, Actually, let me make one last observation. Maybe it's relevant, maybe it isn't, but he he was a, a 490 ERA guy last year, and that was with Aaron Boone. After the trade, he made 11 starts as a Yankee in 2017, coming from Oakland. 372 ERA under Girardi, so... I'm just wondering, you know, maybe maybe Boone isn't the guy that's going to kind of help right the ship for some players. And we certainly saw it with John Farrell. I mean, I'll forever blame his terrible leadership on the reason we don't have Travis Shaw. And we might have to sit through a horrifying season of, of Tyler Thornburg. So I'll be interesting to see how the Boone effect, you know, continues through. 2019 yeah it'll uh it'll definitely be interesting and and good for the you know for the Sox, obviously but um you know if things continue to crumble uh, i have one more question about the yankees though Uh, i think on the last show you guys were talking about the Ottavino uh signing and everything in the the bullpen and then i actually was trying to uh, find a reasonable yankee podcast to listen to and see what they're talking about and uh, of course, <laughs> well, I thought it was not. It wasn't too bad. I mean, but were they um, were they broadcasting from a penitentiary? <laughs> yes. No. I I no, don't want to say it on the air, but I know of a good one. If if you guys ever want to listen to, it. I listen to it every week. But I'll be curious to see if it's the same one that was. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look because uh, I just usually search on Stitcher and look for the most popular ones and okay. uh, and everything and see if they're even 
if they're even recording right now because most podcasts are not. Uh, so, so thank you listeners for listening to us <laughs> every week or listening to Terry and Jeremy anyway. But, um, but no, uh, I was really starting to think cause they were talking about how, you know, they're worried about starting pitching and, you know, wondering what's, what's going to happen because they see the weakness there, you know, just like, just like you guys do. And uh, I was wondering if they're bolstering their bullpen with the anticipation of one of two things, either knowing that they have weak starters and they're saying, okay, we need more bullpen guys to be able or better bullpen, you know, guys, maybe, uh, you know, to be able to take on those extra innings because we know our starters are only going to go, you know, five innings or whatever, like around that they're going to be less than seven or eight. You know, we're not betting on that anymore. Or, you know, maybe they're going to they're going to toy with the whole just a starter, you know, issue, you know, having having the starter only the actual starter uh, only really be in for two innings and then using some guys in long relief and not using the starters as much. You think either of those would be a possibility or are they just too old school to even think about doing either one? Go ahead, Jeremy. That's a loaded question, I know. Did we lose Jeremy? Oh, sorry. sorry, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Okay. Um I, I hit the unmute button and it didn't it didn't unmute. Um it's never going to happen with this rotation because we, could you imagine going to Chris Sale and be like, hey, Chris, we want you to come in the second inning? <laughs> like, no. Price? Like, come on, please. Um, you have you have veteran top-end rotation. They're, they're never going to go with this with that system. Uh, it's perfect for the Devil Rays. A couple of reasons. One, they clearly buy in to cash as their manager. Um, and then they, they, except for Snell, they're a bunch of unproven guys. Um, and so the, that, that situation, uh, just works better with younger teams, younger rosters, guys, not making a ton of money. I'm sorry. You're just not going to go to a guy making 31 million a year and be like, Hey, we want you to come in the second inning. It's just not going to happen. At least in Boston. I think it's perfect for the Rays. I think uh, we talked about why we thought all, we all agreed cash should win the manager of the year. And that was one of the main reasons. Um, so for me, um, for me, it, it makes no sense in in a in a with a team that has veteran high end uh, valued starting pitching. It works perfect with younger pitching, younger managers, where there there's going to be more flexibility. Let me just get to the rotation real quick because I'm not really with you guys on their so-called weakness that they have and just briefly going over some numbers here severino 2017 298 era 2018 338 he had a hell of a first half and was on pace to possibly win a cy young you know had sale not you know went in the toilet as far as his durability and then obviously snell you know ended up stealing it through the second half but he's he still has immense upside he's got a low whip every year his strikeout per nine is always over 10 which is you know the threshold for you know being really good james paxton he Never in his career has he posted a four-something ERA for the season. The highest he's ever been, which was in 2015, was a 390. He's a 342 
uh, ERA guy. His strikeout per nine the last two years was even higher than Severino. So he's he's definitely a high strikeout type guy. Then you have Masahiro Tanaka, 375 last year. You know, that's kind of modest. His worst year, and the only time he's ever posted a four-something ERA, that was 2017. Uh, you know, he was a 474, but they went to game seven of the ALCS that year, and he posted a 138 postseason ERA in 2017. And he's kind of a reverse Chris Sale in terms of durability. Very sluggish and slow out of the gates the first half, but he comes on strong the second half. And his postseason ERA over his career is 150. So great postseason pitcher, you know, so far. Jay Happ, four straight years of an ERA, 365 or less. Not a lot of guys get on base with him in four years in a row, 25-plus starts. I Honestly, in terms of the regular season, I like that signing better than the Evaldi signing, really. It, when we get to the postseason, maybe maybe Evaldi is a better postseason pitcher. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to you know know that once and for all this year. And then finally, CC Sabathia. We love to give fat jokes. Can he field a bunt? No. But he's been sub for ERA the last three seasons in a row. And his ERA has gone down uh, year after year the last three in a row. And uh, 20, uh, let's see, I can't even read my own writing. Uh, something like 20, oh, 27 plus starts, you know, or more in that span. So this isn't a bad rotation. Like, I can't get there. I, I don't have a strong argument. You know, I to say that they're better than the Red Sox, I think if Chris Sale isn't healthy, yeah, I, I probably would lean on the Yankees as, as the better rotation. But I don't really have a strong argument either way on that in the month of January. But that's a very serviceable rotation, and it's probably going to be a top four or five rotation at, at, at the worst in the league. My only real concern is really with Paxton, can he stay healthy? But he had 24 starts in 2017, 28 starts last year. So I just, we should be concerned. And that bullpen is absolutely stacked. And it frustrates me beyond belief that the Yankees value bullpens so much more than the Boston Red Sox do. You know, and and every year that's a priority. I didn't think last trade deadline they were going to go get Zach Britton because their bullpen was fine. They didn't need Zach Britton, but they did it because they felt like it. And... And then they signed him again to a three-year deal with an option, and and uh, now they have Ottavino, who's a consistent three-something ERA guy to slot in probably in the seventh inning. So I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned. And if you could tell me right now that Chris Sale's going to pitch 26 starts and be healthy and and effective for all six months. I don't care if he's a Cy Young guy. I don't even care if he's a top five guy. I just want him to be a serviceable pitcher for six months. And, you know, it's it, he falls off a cliff in August and September. And I just, I'm not comfortable with it. So that's my, that's my, that's my concern, you know, as far as the Yankees go. Yeah, I mean, I just strongly disagree. They have no depth. CC is not going to give you anything. Uh, Tanaka's 
goes through periods where he, he gets a ton of ground balls and uh, you know has seven innings at low pitch counts, but um, he also is he has a they've identified that his uh, his, his Tommy John ligament is like basically frayed, and he's been a candidate for a Tommy John type injury for three years. It hasn't happened, but he's never going to be fully healthy unless it either goes or he just has it done anyways. Severino, as good as he was in the beginning of the year, was not great at the second half of the year. Um, Paxton, to me, is a great unknown. He could go the way of Sonny Gray. He could easily go the way of Sonny Gray. And Terry is a world's going to burn type of guy, and I'm more of an optimist. I like the fact that even if Sale isn't Sale, we have a tremendous amount of depth in our rotation. We have eight major league-ready starters Starters that'll start on almost any team. So, to me, we have a lot more room for error with injuries, with poor performance, where we have other guys that can be in that spot. The Yankees aren't in that position. And um, to me, the bullpens aren't close, and I get that I've already kind of talked on I think the Red Sox bullpen will be vastly different by the time we get to August 1st. But that's where I'm at with it. Um, the Yankees, as far as... Um, being better than the Red Sox, it's possible. Um, I'm not one of these people that's like it's never going to happen. Right? You know, but the Red Sox have so much talent. Mookie, the whole outfield's back. The whole infield's back. The catchers are back. I mean, you know, we're missing Kelly, and we don't have a closer right now. Um, but we've got a team coming back that just was clearly the best team in baseball. Maybe one of the best teams in baseball in a really long time. So I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to buy into like the world's burning situation. And the, the, the statement that you can't tell the difference between who's the better starting rotation in my, my mind. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe at the end of the day, they will be, maybe, maybe they all stay healthy and that those five guys start and end the year and, they have a better overall ERA, but to me, that's just not what it looks like is going to happen. So we kind of where I'm at with it. We have the best top two start. Our our best two are better than their best two, but it's not, and it's not drastic. I mean, Severino. I mean, he's his ERA was three thirty eight last year and sub three the year before, just barely. And Paxton, like I said, never been above. 390. Now, Sale and Price are definitely better than those two, but Tanaka, Hap, and uh, and even Sabathia, like I said, his ERA has dropped and dropped and dropped, and he starts several games, more than Erod even. So, those three, three years in a row, have been better than Porcello, Erod, and Evaldi. And uh, well, other than the Cy Young year for Purcell, obviously, but I think we can all agree he's not that guy. Their numbers are just better. You know, their career numbers are better. Their season for season numbers are better. And they've been rock solid the last three years in a row. Those three starters, Hap, Tanaka, and Sabathia. So I, I have to take that at face value. I, I just can't. I can't do it. Their back end is better than our back end, and their top end. Even though, like I said, not quite as good as ours, still pretty damn good, and still start a ton of games. So, and the, and then you know, even if one of them one of them does have a bad game, they're going to have a pretty damn good bullpen guy coming in. We're going to have someone we're just hoping for the best with you know, in, in the fifth or sixth, if we run into that 
problem as well. So this is going to be a dogfight. And uh, here's another thing. The Yankees last year had a 2017 Red Sox season, basically. You know, they came into the playoffs with, with a head of steam. They won a lot of games. And then they died in the ALCS. We did that in 2017. We came back the next year, won the World Series. I think I think they're going to have their 2018 this year. Not 108 wins, but they're going to win the division, possibly be the best team in baseball, and hopefully not win the World Series. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's it. I don't. You can if you want to weigh in again. That's fine. But I mean, I, I I've already said I disagree. Um, and the other thing is that the there are some track record situations with directly between the Red Sox and the Yankees where like a Baldy is an absolute Yankees killer. Um, and we seemingly get to Severino, um, you know, so what I, I've already kind of said what I'm going to say, we see it differently. And I think frankly, and I think you'll agree with this, Terry, we see it kind of in line with the way we are generally as sports fans. Um, you are more of a pessimist, uh, you know, some of your tweets recently about the bullpen and stuff are just like, you know, the world's burning and everything else. And I'm more like they, they're the Red Sox and they're going to find ways to improve weaknesses and they're going to play on their strengths, which is obviously their lineup, their outfield, their depth in the, and the starting rotation. And they're going to find ways to, to get better and then fill holes as, as it's needed to. And they're going to be in it at the end. And so are the Yankees. And that's why I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, can you beat the Yankees in another series? You know, whether it be a five game set or a seven game set, I mean, that's a real possibility. And the Red Sox, at least recently have been really good against the Yankees. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Well, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. You know, and I, I hope we, you know, we've won it three years in a row. Four in a row sounds good to me, but I just they're just you know a lot of red flags. But like you said, you know we are we see it the way we see it, and and uh, long season. So <laughs> yeah, Liz, what what do you think? I mean, I think your your Rays. I mean, they won ninety last year, made some moves. You have potentially three starters. You know, you got you got your Cy Young, you got Glass now, and you got Charlie Morton. Yeah, yeah. Every every year is such a crapshoot. I I just can't even make any predictions. Like it's it's. I I really hope that that they can recreate what they did last year. I mean, I have absolutely no prediction. Any prediction that I'm going to give is either not going to do them justice. Or I'm going to be completely wrong. So all I can do is be the best race fan I can be, be optimistic, cautiously optimistic, as I say, and uh, hope for the best. That's really all I can do. And I know that's a lackluster answer, but that's all I got. This is an appropriate time for me to just quickly bring up uh, Malik uh, Smith, who was traded to the uh, Seattle uh, Mariners. Traded back was, to the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, by the so he – so, so we spoke about the the three of us spoke about this before we started recording. I just think this is hilarious. So he gets asked the question, "What's going to be the biggest difference between playing for the Devil Rays and the Seattle Mariners?" And his response is that there'll be fans in the stands. Um, one of the bigger ricochet shots ever at the Devil Rays, and I, I take ricochet shots all the time. But from a guy who played in that city 
to say that is it's just so damning and and um liz not to like totally trash on your team because you guys are probably going to be a 90 win team again you're just in the best division in baseball um it's amazing that that team has a 90 win season under their belt they've clearly improved and unless you go to the dark recesses of the of the web and twitter and find like the diehards who are like, Hey, don't sleep on the Rays." Like there seems to be no buzz about the rate, the double race. So, um, I think they're going to be good. And I think they're probably going to be a playoff team. And if, if I had to bet whether they were going to be in the playoff in a wild card or out of, of the playoffs, I would think that they're going to be one of the wild card teams. Um, and they've just done a lot, a lot, a lot well with, with, with the roster and, sensible contracts and everything else. So I, you know, I, I think the division is going to be a little deeper this year. The Orioles are going to absolutely suck. Um, so they're, they're just going to be, and, and, and all three teams will beat up on the Orioles and that's going to, that's going to be the reason why you're going to have three 90 win, uh, 90 plus win teams again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that could very well be how it plays out. And uh, I don't think, I don't think anyone is going to, at least in the AL East will win. 100 this year i really don't and i mean 97 98 wins that's a phenomenal year and i mean more often than not that's that's usually the best team in the league you know, the astros won i think what 100 or 101 two years in a row something like that and then yankees won 100 red sox won 108 but i i think we we all come back down to earth a little bit more uh, next year and I think the Rays will be a part of that as well and the Red Sox destroyed the Rays for most of the year up until nickname weekend where they had the funky jerseys with the weird names and uh, we get swept two years in a row you know <laughs> during that weekend and it was to the Rays this time but um, I think the Rays are going to be pretty competitive I think the Red Sox were what one game up on the Yankees it was like 10 games to 9 or something so you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if it's in that ballpark, you know, 11 to 8, 10 to 9, something like that, you know, Red Sox versus Rays. Uh, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap? No. Um, I, I think I've said a lot, and I think the big thing we need to have happen here is – we need to have Harper and Machado sign and then we can transition from the hot stove season. Cause once they sign all the rest of the people will fall quickly in line. That'll be a really busy podcast. And then we can transition into frankly, um, <laughs> we can transition into the 2019 season. Sounds good to me. A few weeks out. Well, all right, uh, maybe uh, maybe at the end of the weekend. Uh, I'm going to be on a road trip, but I w- should be home by Sunday afternoon, so maybe tentatively a show that night or Monday, depending on how everyone feels. But uh, certainly no later than midweek anyway, at the worst case. All right, well, thanks again, and uh, we'll see everyone on the, uh, on the next one. All right. Sounds good. Have a good night. Have a good one. Another fun show. I think that was episode 113. Isn't that funny how I never know what the episode is at the end of the show? But um, like Jeremy said, hopefully some signings, uh, you know, happen and 
and uh, all of the rest of the dominoes can fall into place. The one thing I didn't bring up, I wish I did, it was Mike Moustakis maybe going to the Yankees. That There's no nothing really developing there, but there is an obvious fit if he's going to be a first baseman. So maybe we can uh, dive into that uh, next show and maybe talk about some of the non-Harper Machado free agents that are kind of being held hostage by those big two on the next show anyway. And uh, it was certainly good to have Liz back with us tonight as well. So anyway, we'll uh, be back uh, more sooner than later. Everybody enjoy uh, your weekend. No football this weekend. Patriots in the Super Bowl. So not sure what the sports agenda will be. Probably some Celtics Bruins going on, but uh Everyone, uh, enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.